Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I'm Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that through this podcast, you'll hear our passion for the gospel and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus can bring. I pray you find the following sermon encouraging and challenging and that it will build you up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more thing before we begin. If any of the sermons on our podcast have been helpful to you, would you please let us know? It would be a great help and blessing to us to know that this ministry is being used by God in your life and ministry. Would you tell us where you're located and specifically how this ministry has helped you? We greatly anticipate hearing from you. You can simply email your response to pastor at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, let's begin our time today. We're going to be in Colossians. You might turn to Colossians, or if you have your phone and you read on your phone, you can do that. Um, But we're going to be in the book of Colossians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John begin the New Testament, and then Acts, and then Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So it's all those little, little books of Paul's that we're going to be in. We're going to be in the first chapter. Last week, I preached about coming to know Christ and what we do with sin. And if, if you weren't able to be here or didn't hear that, I'd encourage you to either listen to it with our, 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 our podcast or online or, or watch the sermon or whatever so that you're, you, you get the idea of where we are coming from, that when we sin, it must be dealt with. And in our natural state, we have a sin nature, and, it has, and, and Christ has dealt with it, but we must surrender our lives to the Lord. And today I'm going to talk about really the effect of that. How then shall we live if that's the case is really the question we'll answer today. And so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 9, and it says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your good and gracious salvation. How Jesus died on the cross and our sin was placed upon him so that we could gain 
his righteousness. And God, that should impact us in how we live each and every day. And I pray this morning you would show us what it means to have a walk that is worthy of the Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, I started talking about someone running. Today, I'm going to talk about walking. I don't know if you knew this, but walking is an Olympic sport. Did you all know you're Olympians? You can walk, and thus, you can maybe go to the Olympics. They have walking in the Olympics, and there are men and women who, who compete to see who can walk the fastest. You've seen these people, right? You've seen them walking really, really fast. And they, they, they compete over a 20K course or a 50K course. In, in uh, you know, our terms, that's 12 and a half miles or 30 miles that they walk to see who can walk the fastest. And there are referees along the way to determine if this person is really walking or are they running. And how they determine that is if, if there is a foot on the ground at all time. If you are running, there is a point where both feet are off the ground. But walking, there is something always touching the ground. And so the referees are looking at that. And that interest in walking isn't limited to humans. CU Boulder, along with three other institutions have been researching whether or not an elephant is walking or running when he's moving very fast. That is life-transforming research, isn't it? And I'm sure government dollars are at work at that. But there are these institutions that are looking at elephants. Now, an elephant, it's interesting to note, can move at four, when it's moving four and a half miles an hour, and it can move up to 15 miles an hour, but no matter how fast it's going, they have determined that his gait, his walk, is consistent. That there, it, it is a walk. It is a very fast walk, but it's a walk. No matter how fast he's going, no matter what's going on, his walk is consistent. Now, Paul was not concerned about the elephant's walk. Paul was not concerned about walking at the Olympics. He was concerned about the walk of the believers in Colossae, the Colossians. And he was concerned about their growth in Christ. We call it discipleship. And he was concerned if their walk was consistent. No matter what's going on, are they living for the Lord? Whether they're gathered with other believers or they're out in their job, or at school, or wherever they were at, is their walk the same? That is the concern of Paul. Now, the Colossians, Paul had never met. He had heard great things about them, but it was a place he had never been. He didn't know these people, but he heard that God was working powerfully through them, and he wanted to make sure that he encouraged them. And so he began to pray for them, and he prayed unceasingly for them, it says. 
We read in verse 9 that since the day he heard of it, that is, their faith that these people, these Gentiles that lived in Colossae came to know the Lord, they were walking for the Lord. Ever since he heard from it, he began to pray for them without ceasing. And he prayed some specific things for them. So what was Paul's prayer? And the answer we find in, in that question, what is Paul's prayer, is something we can see that Paul not only desired for the Colossae church, but for us, that we can apply this to us. And so let's examine this prayer for Paul and see what he says. And first of all, we see that Paul says our desire should be to experience God's will. Our desire should be to experience God's will for us. It says he prayed, I have not ceased to pray for you and ask, look what he says, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He constantly prayed that these, these believers would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, knowledge is not here, the word that he uses is not intellectual, it's not an intellectual exercise, it's not just knowing more and more and more, it's not reading more and gaining more information and memorizing more facts and having it all in your head. This knowledge that he is using, the words that's used, is the difference between knowing about something and knowing something. Let me give you an example. I may I don't, but I may know, possibly, a lot about Billy Graham, let's say. Maybe I've read all his autobiographies. Maybe I've watched everything he's ever did. Maybe I've, I know a lot about his personal life, and I know all about Billy Graham, let's say. But I have never personally encountered Billy Graham, and never will. He's passed. So I don't know Billy Graham, Right? That's the difference of the knowledge here. He's not talking about knowing about something. He is talking about a personal, practical knowledge of God's will. And so the first question that I want to ask you is, do you know God's will? Paul is praying that the believers would know God's will by personally experiencing it. Not knowing about God's will for us, but practically and personally knowing God's will. Do you know God's will for you, and are you living according to the will of God? Now, I could ask that question and end it, and it should be enough conviction for all of us here to a revival to start out. There is all parts, all points of conviction. Someone might say, well, I don't know God's will. Well, that is more about you and less about God. Because God has revealed his will and his word. And if we don't know it, that's on us. Second point might be, yeah, I know God's will, but I'm not living it. Well, that is the definition of what Scripture calls sin. And we must remove it from our lives. Now, I'm a preacher, and I'm not going to just stop right there, so 
Don't, uh, don't think, oh man, the sermon's short today. It's not. Um, he prays that they would personally and, and practically know God's will. And not just a little bit. He says, I want you to be filled with that. To the brim. Overflowing. So that you, there is, there is not a time we don't know it. The idea is to make fully known, to complete, to accomplish it. See, there's a lot of times we try to get by with knowing as little about God's will as necessary to stay in God's good graces. I know I'm supposed to go to church, so I'll go sometimes. Actually, there is a command in Scripture that says, do not forsake the gathering together together uh, of each other. There is, a, there is a command for that. And we say we want to know maybe just enough then. To, to be in good, God's good graces. But that's not the prayer. Paul says, I want you to be full, complete, have a, have a full and complete practical and personal knowledge of God's will in our lives. But how do we do that? You might say, that's great. Okay, I get it. We should do that. How do we do that? He says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That there is these two things, spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding, that are key aspects of understanding God's will. Now, when Scripture speaks of wisdom, it is talking about the basic principles of life. It is trying to understand what the Word of God says about life. It is just words of wisdom. I mean, Proverbs 1-7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is understanding that there is a God and we revere Him and worship Him and fear Him. That is where wisdom begins. And it says that fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's the beginning of obtaining wisdom. But James tells us that wisdom comes through prayer. Look what it says in, in James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, someone says, I want the will of God, and it says it comes through wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding. And James says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives, look what it says, to all generously and without reproach. He will give all that you can handle, and he will not make you feel bad about it. He's not saying, you stupid, you should know this. He's not saying that. He is giving this wisdom without reproach. And it says, when you ask, it will be given. So fearing the Lord and praying to the Lord, those are critical aspects of obtaining wisdom, to understand the basic principles of how this world works. It begins by understanding there is a God. And anyone functioning without, with the idea that there is not a God, they are living in a fantasy world. They live in a world that is not reality. They're trying to make things work without God when the truth of the matter, there is a God. And that's how this world works. And if you want wisdom to, to more of that, you pray and you begin to ask God. 
Show me what this world is like. Show me your wisdom. Give me what you know. You know, the, the, the idea of the Proverbs is, is, is just flat-out wisdom. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs. Strangely enough, there are many months that have 31 days. We could read a chapter a day and read it time and time again, and we would not scratch the depth of the wisdom that God gives us just in that one book. We pray and we get wisdom. But he says not only wisdom, but spiritual understanding. And and the idea of understanding is the ability to apply wisdom to our life. It is one thing to know what the Bible says about spending money. Like, you cannot spend more than you bring in. That is kind of a basic principle of life. It's one thing to know that. That's wisdom. It's another thing to live that way. That's understanding. It's one thing to know what the Scripture calls sin, that that sexual sin is wrong, that sex outside of marriage is sin, and pornography is sin, and homosexuality is sin, and this this, uh, transgender stuff, rejecting what God has has commanded you to be by simply creating you male or female and rejecting that, it is sin. It's one thing to know that. It's another thing to live according to that. It's a difference between wisdom and understanding. And he says, if you want to know God's will, you need spiritual wisdom, and that comes through prayer, and you need understanding. Where does understanding come from? Jesus has gathered his disciples around. He he has been crucified, laid in the tomb. He's risen again. He has displayed himself to all kinds of people, 500 plus people as, as witnesses to his resurrection. And he is ready to ascend into heaven. And in Luke chapter 24, he gets his disciples together and he tells them this. Luke 24, now he said to them, these are my words, words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. And all these things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I'm going to stop right there because Moses, the law of Moses, prophets and the Psalm, those are the three main sections of the Old Testament. He's saying, these are the words in the Bible that were written about me. He's talking about the scriptures. And then he says in 45, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It's not just knowing about what the Bible has to say Understanding is knowing what the Bible says and living that way. Look in Psalm 111.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we read again. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. Here's what I'm saying. You want to become filled with the knowledge of God? You want to know what God's will is? It begins with prayer and the word. I know as a pastor, that's what I'm supposed to say, but I'm telling you from from life experience and observing people, those who follow God and know his will for them are those who pray and spend time in the Bible, seeking out who 
what, what God wants for them. And those who struggle with knowing what God's will is are not in prayer and are not in God's word. So if you are praying, God, show me your will for me and I need to know if I need to move here or, or make this purchase or take this job or, or whatever you are seeking God about, and if you're desiring that God would make his will known to you, but you are not spending time in the word and you are not spending time praying and, and seeking out the Lord, you should not anticipate hearing anything from the Lord. God can do whatever he wants to do and he may reveal himself to you, but it's my guess and my observation of people in my life and other people's lives that if a person isn't willing to spend time to see what God has revealed in his word, why would he show us anything other than that? It's like the parent who tells the kid, I want you to clean the room. And the kid says, no. And the parent just says, I want you to clean the room. I want you to clean the room. And eventually the parent stops because the kid knows what the parent wants. And the, and the kid might come and say, can I have 20 bucks? No, no, you can't. Why not? Because you didn't clean your room. Can I go to my friend's house? No. Why? Because you didn't clean the I mean, there is this point of, of, of a standoff, so to speak, that says, this is what I have shown you how our lives should be, be lived. And if we refuse to even crack this word open and see what God has to say about it, we should not anticipate any, any great revelation of, of anything else God may want for us. It begins with spiritual wisdom and understanding. It begins with prayer and study of the word. And we become filled with the knowledge of God. Paul states here in Colossians when we spend time in prayer, time in the Word, we'll not only come to know God's will in a very personal and practical way, but we'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will. There was a religious order in the 1500s, and, and they had this symbol of, of what they represented, and their symbol was this man standing with a foot outstretched. Like, that's kind of strange. What is, what is that about? It was just indicating that they were ready to go whatever direction God called them to go. They were foot outstretched, ready to step in any direction God leads. They are not sitting down waiting for God to reveal where he wants them to go or what he wants them to do. And I'm simply saying that is the picture of God's will for us. I think it's very rare that God would show us his plan for our life. God, what is your plan for my life? There's rare that we ever get this end picture. What we get is this is the next step I want you to do. And a lot of times, most of the time, if not all the time, that is revealed in the word. How should I respond to this person in my life? Word of God tells me that. How should I spend this money that I've received? Scripture talks about the right way to spend money. How should I 
uh, respond to, to someone who has injured me. Scripture speaks to that. I mean, on and on and on, the Scripture tells us how we are to live. And we don't know it if we're not in it. So when we are continually and habitually following His will and the next step of our life, then our big decisions are not big decisions. They're just the next step. Because too many times we want to live our life for us, and then a big decision comes, and we ask God, hey, would you come in and direct me? And God says, no, I'm not going to direct you, because I want you to take the next step. I'm not wanting you to leap over this time with me just to get what you want out of this. Paul's prayer is that we would have a practical, personal experience with God's will. And that comes through spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so are you being filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding? Are you doing anything to assure that that is being answered in your life? We are to experience God's will. That is, that is Paul's prayer for us. But then Paul shows us when we do that, when we experience God's will, that results in a worthy walk. Look what he says. I'm going to read verse 9. He says, I've prayed for you that you ask, and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And verse 10 says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm going to stop there. He wants these believers to have, be filled with the knowledge of of God's will so that they could walk in a way that's worthy of the Lord. The word walk in Scripture is, is talking about a lifestyle. It's a habitual lifestyle. How do you live all the time? And he prays that they're filled with that so that the result would be an outward expressed life so that the habit of our life would be worthy of the death of Jesus Christ. Not that we're earning it. We don't earn our salvation. That has been given to us. If we are a believer in Christ, that was a gift God gave to us. It is by grace through faith. But if, he, if, he, if, it, if our forgiveness costs that much, we should not treat it cheaply. That's the idea here. The idea of worthy has the idea of weightiness, substance, Something that has something in it. It may be better said that our lives should have some real substance. You know, one thing I've noticed, I'm sure you have noticed, that when the world holds up someone who's a hero or somebody that they think is an example, a lot of the time their lives are just empty. There's no substance there. And they... They are just, they have no spiritual weight. A good picture of worthy is these scales. You know, the old-fashioned scales that have these, these baskets on both sides. And since Jesus died for me, and I have publicly committed my life to his name, and since the Holy Spirit lives in me and empowers me to live in Christ-likeness, 
then I need to have a lifestyle that will measure up to that. It should, it should reflect, my life should reflect who lives in me and who died for me. That is, that is the prayer here. You could say we just need to practice what we preach, but it is, it is something like that. It is not so that my life looks good to other people, although that is a, a form of testimony, and it's not just so that I practice what I preach. It says here that you have a walk in the manner worthy of the Lord, look what it says, to please Him in all Respects it's so that my life pleases the Lord. Do you have an attitude that anticipates Christ every wish and then aims to meet that? That is the picture here. A, a worthy walk, a life of substance says. I'm going to anticipate what Christ would have me do in this situation, and I will live that way so that I will please him. A worthy walk isn't so much how you live on Sunday morning here. A worthy walk is reflected on what happens when you walk out these doors, what happens tomorrow at work and at school and in our neighborhoods and in our families and when we do have a life of substance, when we have a worthy walk, there is something attractive to other people. It's not the reason we do it to please the Lord, and God uses that to draw people. It says in 1 Peter 2, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, Glorify God in the day of his visitation. A worthy walk is allowing Christ to live through us so his righteousness is shining out. And when that happens, people might be drawn to the Lord. So when we spend time in prayer in the Word, seeking out God's will so that we become filled with the knowledge of His will, Paul's prayer is that we would experience, we do that so that we would experience a worthy walk, a walk that is weighty, a life that has substance, one that pleases the Lord in all respects. And so when we have a life of substance, a weighty walk, what will our lives look like? What does it look like to have a worthy walk? Well, he finishes, I believe, by showing us that a worthy walk is a life of power. A worthy walk is a life of spiritual power. It is Christ working through us to display himself to the world, and that's a life of power for you English nerds, Paul uses four participles here. Participles is the verb ending in I-N-G, and he uses that in the Greek to kind of make some four points. And those four points, I have, I have uh, given an acronym of FIST to think about power. 
These four aspects of a worthy walk, there's probably more as we go through Scripture, but he nails down four points here, and, and, it, and it displays that it is a life of power. The first one, he says in verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. It is a f- life of fruitfulness. There is fruit in a worthy walk. He says, bearing fruit in every good work. It's constructed in a way that means it's a continual action, that it is always bearing fruit. I've got trees in my backyard that bear fruit and then don't, and then do and don't, and then, then, then it freezes, and then it just doesn't do real well next year, and then the next year is lots of fruit, and then it's this inconsistent bearing of fruit. That is not the Christian walk. That is not a worthy walk. When we are seeking out God's will and have a life worthy of the Lord, we bear fruit And there's not a time we don't. That is what Paul is saying here. We bear fruit. And we bear fruit, it says, in every good work. Look, our righteous works are dirty rags. We cannot earn salvation with our works. But once we are saved, we are called to do good works. We are called to do We're called to be first, called to to rest in Christ's accomplished work. But once we have salvation, we are called to work. It says in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, look what it says, for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Yes, any good work we do is from Christ's power working through us. This is not talking about earning our salvation through these good works. But if Christ gave himself on the cross for us, why would we not respond by doing what he wants us to do? So the first question under here is, are we being fruitful? Is there fruit in your life? And what is that fruit? We're told what the fruit is in Galatians 5. Look what it says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is a fruit of the Spirit. This isn't fruits right? This is one. If the Holy Spirit is inside of us, these pop out of us. And it's like, well, I got love, but I got no patience. Well, then you're not displaying the fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is patience, right? It's an area God needs to work in our life in then. It's not we get to pick and choose which ones we like. The fruit of the Spirit is all these things. And the thing about fruit is, is that it it's produced um, like at the roots. Let, let me say it this way. Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And the branch's job is to hold out fruit. Branches don't necessarily produce the fruit. They just hold out fruit. And that's our job. People should see the fruit the Holy Spirit produces in us. We hold it out to the world. That's our job. We are to live a life 
have a worthy walk of the Lord so that the fruit of, this, of the Spirit is on display in our lives. And someone can come across it. Someone can spend time with us and encounter the Savior, maybe come up and pick that fruit of patience that they need because they've been, they've been had a rough life or, or whatever, or the, the fruit of love or gentleness or whatever, they're able to access that because the Holy Spirit is producing it in us. A worthy walk is a walk of power, and that means first, the fruit of the Spirit is on display. It's fruitful. Second, it means that we are increasing, increasing in the knowledge of God. This is written also in a tense that means it's continual, that we are always increasing. It is a habitual action. There, action there is increase in our lives. We know God more. It's the idea of spiritual enlargement. If you have the New American Standard Bible, and if you're reading through that, there's a footnote there, and you go to the footnote in the bottom where all the little notes are at, if yours has those, and it will say, increasing by the knowledge of God. It's saying the more we know God, the more mature we become spiritually. We know God by spending time in his word, by praying with him, and we get, to, we, we get to know him more, and as we know more, we grow spiritually like sun and rain are to crops. Knowing God is to Christians. It is essential for growth. If we don't know who God is, we will not grow spiritually. You know, when, when our daughter Jessica was, was younger, we did what I'm sure many of you did with your kids. She was little, and she would stand up really straight in a door jam, and we would take a pencil, and we would mark how tall she was at that particular day, put a date on it, and then she, we, she'd stand back, and we'd say, you're this tall today. And then like a week later, she'd be back and be like, I want to measure again, because I might have grown. And we'd sit there and we'd, we'd, we'd measure her. And if there was a millimeter of growth, right, she was excited because she grew. She was bigger. She was becoming mature. We should have that kind of excitement and that kind of anticipation with our spiritual growth. That we stand up tall against the word of God and know we're not going to measure up, but we want to see where we're at. And then come back the next week. And am I closer to God than I was last week? Do I know God more than I did last year or six months ago or three weeks ago? Am I maturing spiritually? We should have a desire to grow spiritually. There are some who have like, might say, I, I know God and I know enough that I'm covered, right? And I don't need to do any more. I live my life for the Lord. I kind of check that box. And we're just kind of maintaining right now. And that is not the passion of a worthy walk. A life of substance has a desire to increase spiritually, to mature 
spiritually. A life of power is a fruitful life. It is an increasing life. It is a life of strength. It means we have strength. He says being strengthened is what it actually says in the Greek. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of steadfastness and patience. Once again, we see that this is constructed in, a, in, in an action that means continual. It means we are being strengthened. That's a passive. That means someone is strengthening us. The Holy Spirit is strengthening us, maturing us, making us stronger and stronger. And there should never be a time where we are not being strengthened. That is the, the picture here. And Paul says we become stronger in the area of steadfastness and patience. Steadfastness is literally the word that means remain under. And it has specifically has to do with circumstances. That there are times in our lives that are like heavy burdens that are down upon us and we need the strength to remain under it because God is not taking us out of it. And that matures us, that he strengthens us to remain under because sometimes there are situations in life we need God's strength to get through. Amen? Right. And then he says that it's strengthened for patience. Patience is a word that's primarily used for even-temperedness with people because sometimes we need patience with people. Amen? <laughs> there are times we need to say, God, you have to give me strength. Because I can't deal with this person. And I want this person to come to know the Lord. They're not living how they should live. And they are behaving in ways that are rebellious to your word. And I get so angry with them and impatient with them. And I need strengthened to, to respond with the fruit of the Spirit. When our lives are pleasing to the Lord, when we are walking a worthy walk, a life of substance, we will be strengthened spiritually to endure the circumstances and people we encounter in our lives. It is fruitful, it's increasing, it's strengthened, and last, he says, it is a life of thankfulness. It's a, mark, it's a life marked with thankfulness. He says in verse 12, giving thanks joyously, that verse, last part of 11 is probably part of verse 12, joyously giving thanks to the Father. And this is a continual action. It's a habitual time of joy. There is never a time we don't have the joy of the Lord is what it's saying. Regardless of the circumstances, it's not about happiness, which deals with happenings. It is joy that is consistent. It doesn't mean that when our loved one dies, we dance a jig, but it means I am stable in the Lord and have the joy of the Lord within me to sustain me. It is It is. It is an idea of thankfulness, joyous thankfulness. And why should we be so thankful? Look what he says, and we just got to rush through these, and all of these are worth looking at. He qualified us. He qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has... We were not qualified to be part of the inheritance. We were not part of the family. 
You know, there are people who are going to get Bill Gates's um, inheritance. You know, when he dies, he's going to leave it. And, and I'm not qualified to be part of that because I'm not part of the family. And naturally, in our natural state, without Christ, we were not qualified to be part of God's family and receive any inheritance from him. But he qualified us. He adopted us. He brought us into his family so that he could give us the inheritance of eternal life. He qualified us. It's important to know that this tense here of this verb is, it's, it means it's a past tense that's instantaneous. We are not in the process of being qualified. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your king, you are qualified, past tense, completed act. It's done. You're qualified. There is nothing else you need to do. He's done it all. He qualified us. He adopted us, brought us into the family, and now we're qualified to share in the eternal inheritance of salvation. We're thankful because he did that. Second, it says he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. The picture here is that we were prisoners, slave in a dark, evil kingdom because that's where we were at and couldn't get free. And we were bound in chains of sin and death. And Jesus came to that kingdom, and for no reason other than he loved us, he broke our chains and brought us out of that dark kingdom and placed us into his family, into the kingdom of light. He rescued us. And that's a tense. That means it was a past, instantaneous act we have been rescued. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, he's not in the process of bringing us out. We've been transferred out of sin and death into the kingdom of light. That is, a, that is why we thank the Lord. And then he says, not only that, that because he loved us and, and qualified us and rescued us, but he says he redeemed us. Look what it says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Father redeemed us through his Son. This tense of the word here is different. It's constructed in a, in a word that means it's a continual action. We have redemption. If you've trusted in Christ, you have redemption now, and you will have it tomorrow, and you will have redemption forever. You have been bought back. It is good, it is good news. When, G, when we trust the shed blood of Jesus that was shed for us on the cross, there is never a time we do not have redemption, which is equated here with the forgiveness of sins. You, who have trusted in Christ, are forgiven. And there's not a time when you are not forgiven. Even tomorrow, when you say the words you shouldn't say, or do the things you shouldn't do, or think the things you shouldn't say, you are forgiven now. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that's because our salvation, our forgiveness is not based upon whether or not we can sin or not, because the 
Here's the news flash. We sin all the time. It's based upon what Jesus did on the cross, and that was God's perfect redemption. He bought us out of slavery, and he redeemed us through the death of Jesus. The possession of this redemption means we are forgiven. And so sin has been removed. There is no more barrier between us and God because all our sins were laid upon Jesus and they were killed with him. And so the question is, are you thankful for that? (laughs) Amen. You've been qualified and rescued and redeemed. And a worthy walk not only displays fruit and is increasing spiritually and strengthened to handle circumstances and people, but it is thankful for the salvation that we have. And that's why it's a life of power. I remember in high school, at some event, I, don't, I was trying to remember, and I couldn't remember what it was, probably some sort of open house, and the parents came in, and, you know, so mom and dad came, and, and they were looking around at the magnificent thing that I did, I don't know, whatever, you know how it is, they show off all the kids' stuff, and uh, I, I don't know what it was, but I wanted my parents to meet my friend Mike. Uh, Mike hadn't met my parents, and I wanted them to meet him, and his parents were here, and they were doing something, and mine, and we, we never quite got the two to meet. And so the next day at school, I said to Mike, I said, I, I, I couldn't find you. I wanted you to meet my parents. And he says, oh, I saw your parents. I said, well, how'd you know they were my parents? And he says, because you walk just like your dad. <laughs> Our bow legs and the way we kind of walk around, I guess. And he says, uh, I could tell it was your dad because you walk just like him. And I never, I guess, really thought about it until he said that. And I thought, well, I guess I walk like my dad. And what I pray for, and what I really hope is the case, is that I walk like my heavenly dad, right? That someone sees me walking down the street and they say, oh, I see that guy. I know who his dad is. Because he walks just like his dad walks. That is the picture of a worthy walk. I mean, we all want a consistent, powerful walk, I would assume. I'm assuming if I asked anyone before I preached, do you want to walk in a way that pleases the Lord? Do you want to live in a way? You'd say, yeah, I do. Well, Paul says here, it comes by being filled with the knowledge of God's will. That comes through prayer and the word. Are you spending time on a regular basis praying and studying God's will? Because if you are not, you get the connection, then you are not being filled with the knowledge of God's will, which means you don't have a walk that's worthy of the Lord. You can't. There's some direct connections. We need to incorporate sincere, in-depth prayer and Bible study into our lives personally. And we're going to have a powerful, consistent walk. And that's Paul's prayer for the Colossians. It's my prayer for you, and I hope it's what you're praying for yourselves. I'm going to have you bow your heads. Is your life, think through this, 
Is your life surrendered to the Lord to the point that it's weighty, it's worthy? It is a life of substance, spiritual substance. I'm not asking how much you have, how much you make, how many people you know, what church you used to be part of. I'm saying, is your life pleasing to the Lord in all aspects? That's what Paul says here, to please him in all respects. If my life was weighed, would it measure up to what Christ has done in my life? Does your life reflect spiritual power? Is there fruit in your life? Are you growing spiritually? Are you being strengthened to deal with the circumstances and people that are in your life? Have you forgotten to be thankful for the amazing salvation that the Father has given us? And for those who maybe don't know the Lord, have you been qualified to share in the internal inheritance? Have you been rescued from sin? Have you been redeemed by the blood of Jesus? Or are you trusting in your good works to enter into eternity? Heavenly Father, I come to you and ask that you would, at this point, stir our hearts the way we need stirred. To move among us. Bring conviction where conviction's needed, but not... not in a way that is condemning God, but the restorative conviction that you bring. God, I pray you bring encouragement where there's encouragement needed. Perhaps someone here has just felt guilt over sin and they've trusted in you and they forgot that they are forgiven. Maybe there's a believer here, someone who's trusted in you, and they're just kind of on autopilot. They're just looking for eternity and every other aspect of life is lived for them. And they forgot that we are here. We are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works so that you can shine through us and the world be drawn to you. God, maybe today they need to commit their life back to you. And I I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you. Not really. They know church. They may know some Bible stuff. They know religious words. But they do not know their Father in heaven. And I pray today that they would trust in Christ's work on the cross and give their life over to you transformed today. I ask you work in our lives and I pray that you would give us the courage and strength to respond how you lead us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosemontbaptist.org 
forward slash give. If you live in Western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at 10.45 a.m. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org. May you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.